0: Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is
1: Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die.
2: Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct.
1: When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious...
3: You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making.
1: I want you to get this where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. I want to go there in the middle of the night, and I want to piss on his ashes.
3: Alright, so that's that's the halftime speech. Alright, let's have a good second half. Go team.
2: That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's mm. Jeff, I could listen to you do
3: that all night. Alright. Maybe maybe Jeff will come over to your house and just maybe he can whisper that to you, <laughs> you while you fall asleep. <laughs> You know how some people have machines that make like ocean sounds and soothing sounds. Maybe you yeah. just maybe you just have Jeff come over and he can read Robert de, Robert de Niro lines to you i i that would work for me. Yeah. I would be okay with that. okay. Jeff, how much would you charge for that service?
1: Uh, it depends on on how often and how much I need to read. okay. A man becomes preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasms enthusiasms enthusiasms. <laughs>
3: <sighs> well, if you awesome. haven't if you haven't figured it out already, this time around we're talking about the Untouchable. So we are on episode number 122 of the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. Welcome uh, for joining us here at the Thirty Something Movie Podcast. If you have not joined us before, we are a podcast that takes one movie each week, and it is a movie that is reaching its thirtieth anniversary this year. So since we are in 2017 currently, uh, our movies are from 1987. And uh, this month we are doing our kind of crime and punishment movies. So we've gone through and we have done Lethal Weapon. We've done RoboCop. Um, we've done Dragnet. We've got *The Living Daylights coming up uh, to finish out the month after this one. And this time we're doing The Untouchables. We've also done Logan. Um, uh, that's not really one that fits necessarily in the crime and punishment. Unless you want to take Logan's life as a lifelong punishment. I guess you could do that. but um,
1: hey, hey, I haven't seen
3: it yet. Careful, what, I didn't careful, tell careful. I didn't tell you anything that you don't know from the other movies. Okay. So, you you know his life pretty much sucks from all the other movies we've ever seen. This is true. Yeah. So, uh, so we are we're very close to finishing out our Crime and Punishment month. Uh, so we've got this one, The Untouchables, and then finishing out with the first Timothy Dalton Bond movie, The Living Daylights, and that'll be coming next week. Um, and then after that, we've got uh, our April movies are going to be The Princess Bride, Chipmunk Adventure, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, and Masters of the Universe. So if you want to watch ahead a little bit so that you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, email. Sounds like a good journey. It's, it, you know what? It, it is a good journey. It is a good journey. And I can't think of, I. there are every single one of those movies. Actually, you know what? For the last, this month and, and next month, I there's not a movie in this list that I don't like. You know, in back in February, I was I was so so on moonstruck, um, but I think the next two months are pretty solid. Mm. And then once we get into the summertime, there's a whole bunch of movies I've never seen before. So, but uh, but we'll get to that. So, so tonight I am joined by. Uh, normally we've got anywhere from uh, two to five of us that are on here. Uh, I am your host John Reed, and I am joined tonight by Patrick Canigallo. Pat, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. And Jeff Mazuka. Hi. So is and it? I just want.
2: I is, just want to say that for this particular movie, ethnically, I think we're a good set of hosts. What I was actually. Think, I Jeff? was
3: just about to say exactly that. I'm like between a Canegallo oh. and a Mazuka, I I think this is probably a good movie for you guys to talk about.
1: I mean, I've got certain enthusiasms.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Enthusiasms. There you go. <laughs> I want it, I want him dead, Jeff. I, I just. <laughs> I just, man, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into the band room when I'm having a particularly rough day in class. And I'm going to say, look, I need you to talk to my friend, Mr. Mazooka. And then, you know, if you guys don't stop, I just, I I could just, I could hear you do that all night. I'm just saying, that's awesome.
3: That's why I I texted Jeff, the picture of uh, Robert De Niro earlier, trying to track down the girl that has my Girl Scout cookies.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Same idea. Slightly,
3: slightly tamer language, but same idea.
2: Right. Right. You got the point across. Yeah.
3: I want those cookies. So uh, anyway, this time around, we are obviously doing The Untouchables, and we're going to repeat probably the same three or four lines from the movie all night long. Um, mm-hmm. But we are—we uh, do spoil the events of movies we talk about, so if you have not seen The Untouchables yet, it's a great movie. You should go see it. Um, yeah. But if you have not seen it yet, you may want to pause right now, go find the movie, go watch it, and then come on back. We'll still be sitting here. Um so uh, go ahead and do that if you haven't seen it yet, and if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, it it is based off of historical events. So you know you may know how the history works out. That doesn't you necessarily know, it, know that doesn't necessarily mean you know how everything in the movie works out because it there's, uh, takes some uh, liberties. There,
1: there are a lot of times, John, when you give that little uh, warning about spoilers and such,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I sit and I think, yeah, well, if you haven't seen it by now, that's you know that that that's your problem for yeah. not watching the last two years. Ladies and gentlemen, our listeners, I'm telling you, pause this podcast and go watch this movie. Yeah. Then come back to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's that good that you want to watch it first. This. Yeah. This This is one of those. Enjoy the conversation we're going to
0: have.
3: Yeah. This is one of those. Watch it first. Yep. You know, some, yep. of, some of the other ones, give or take, you know, The Golden Child. Meh, I, I don't know that I... I liked it, but I don't know that I need to see it before I you know, listen to the podcast. But yeah, def- definitely, I agree with you. This is one you need to go watch this movie first. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, in the meantime, also, uh, if you can head on over to iTunes, if you've been listening to the show and you are enjoying it, uh, we would love for you to go on over there and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, and then tell one friend about the show. Um, let them know so we can bring them on board. If you've got any friends that enjoy 80s stuff, because we're still in the 80s right now. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a couple more years of that left. So if you've got friends that enjoy 80s movies, and on occasion we'll talk about other 80s things going on. And actually through our Twitter account, I usually tweet out a lot of different uh, 80s pop culture type things. Like if a famous actor from the 80s is having a birthday or if there's some event from the 80s that we're hitting the anniversary of. So a lot of that stuff is uh, some of the things that we tweet out on the Twitter account. So, And that's pretty active. We're, we're tweeting several times a day from that one. So feel free to follow us on there as well. Mr.
2: T- mr t's on uh, dancing with the stars i saw
3: that yeah i saw that i may actually make me go back and watch that show now yeah yeah i'm kind of curious to see how good of a dancer he is
2: yeah well he should win that's just what i'm saying right now if he can cut a rug the same
3: way he can cut trees down (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying that's that's going to be a local thing for anybody that's from our area that, that knows. Um, Mr. T, actually the town that I live in uh, is Lake Forest, Illinois. And Mr. T lived here in Lake Forest back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. It was part the 80s and 90s. I don't remember how long. I, I wasn't living here at the time. And uh, he uh, cut down a bunch of the trees on his property. And I, I guess the whole story, I guess the story is he didn't really ask for permission to do that. And you yeah, have to know yeah. you have to know a little bit about Lake Forest and, and the fact that the town is called Lake Forest. Um, they're a little particular on their trees, mm-hmm. so uh, and, and they're a little particular on their um, like their their town regulations and ordinances and things like that. They're very much a, a, a Joe Friday of villages um, in terms of following their regulations. And uh, yeah, he didn't ask permission and uh, he he cut down a whole bunch of very old trees that were on his property and. Um, Yeah, the the folks were not too happy. So he actually ended up leaving, moving away from Lake Forest because of kind of the reception that people gave him uh, after he did that. So,
2: yeah. 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 Uh, Quite appreciated.
3: Yeah. So, well, I I pity the fool that uh, mess with Mr. T as a gardener. Mm -hmm. Well, on uh, on Twitter, we did actually put out a poll. Uh, We are up to, I think we're up to like 300 and I think we're over – 339 followers at least at the time of this recording um probably be more by the time we do actually release this one but uh so thank you to all of you that are following us there um we did have one review that got left uh about a week or two ago on itunes so thank you for that as well um so we do appreciate those if you if you feel so led to leave those for us i did put up a poll on twitter that was uh what is your favorite scene in the untouchables and mm-hmm. we did get a handful of responses. The options that I gave everybody, and I, this is where the, the Twitter poll stuff uh, you know, is kind of limiting. It only gives you four options that you can let people yeah. vote on. Um, so the four options I gave people were the Canadian border bridge scene, okay. the train station steps, the rooftop pursuit of Frank Nitti, and uh, Capone's courtroom finale. So of those four scenes, if you had to pick from those four scenes, which one would you guys pick? Ooh,
1: four good scenes. Jeff, you go first. I got to think about this. I think I'd have to go with the. Uh, ooh, you know what? I thought I had a deadlock, but now I'm thinking about it. Um, either the train station or the uh, final courtroom scene. I have, I think the train station over the courtroom scene. Okay, but not by much.
3: Okay. Uh, I mean, again, these are the all great sta- scenes. I that are all. That's yeah, kind of why I picked them because is... they're all really great scenes, and I I wanted to, I wanted to force people to try to choose one out of those four. Yeah, I, the
2: the train station scene, um, the train station scene. Speaking of train station scene, is that a Bo Wormbol we have on
3: I think Bo Wormbol just popped it, in. Oh
0: it is, God. but why? Speaking of train station scene, what do I have to do with that?
1: Because well, you're as big as a locomotive, I don't know.
2: Hey now! Whoa, whoa! We can't just throw down insults. The guy just got here. We gotta let him like get his, you know, get hey, in the door. Hey, you
0: said that was an insult. Depends on what Jeff was talking about there, buddy.
2: Your, your, okay, I your see. waistline. I, I, I just, I'm just, i just, you know, I'm just not gonna say anything at this point. I've just got nothing. I uh, just go stand don't back and know, watch this the play t- out. T- the train station scene is iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like when you think of that movie, you just think of that scene, you know. And I mean, I think it's been lampooned and copied in other movies and, and so on. I, 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 I love that rooftop scene. And John, you wanted to lock us into one scene and I'm not, and I'm failing spectacularly. Well,
3: you know, um, you're, you're, you're taking the options, you're breaking the rules.
2: Yeah, I, I know. I know. Um, I'll say train station scene. Okay. No, I'll say rooftop scene, because I love the ending.
3: Okay. All right. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah. So we were, uh, so Bo, we haven't, uh, we you, you just joined us, but we haven't uh, gone through our introduction of the movie and, and the actors and all that stuff yet, but we were saying that I had put out a poll on Twitter and gave people four options and asked people, what is your favorite, what is the best scene in The Untouchables? And the options I gave were the Canadian border bridge scene, the train station steps, the rooftop chase of Frank Nitti, or the courtroom finale. So of those four, if you had to pick one, which one would you pick?
0: The Canadian border scene for sure. Okay. Well, not my oh. favorite scene in the movie. From that list, the border scene. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. And when I when I last checked the Twitter poll, it was pretty dead even. Where did it end up?
3: Yeah, on Twitter, it was, uh, we had, coming in last place was the rooftop chase of Frank Nitti.
2: All right. I was um, like the underdog. Okay. Yeah,
3: so that was 10% of the vote uh, for that one. 20% of the vote went to the Canadian border bridge. Uh, 30% of the vote went to the courtroom finale, and 40% went to the train station steps. Yeah. So I think, and right I on. think when I voted on this one too, I think I voted on the train station steps scene. Yeah. Classic, no doubt. Yeah.
1: Bo, why'd you, why'd you choose the uh, the bridge scene?
0: Well, Part of my choice has a little bit to do with how long you consider that scene. If you take it all the way through the uh, fake killing of the already dead uh, Capone guy.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Then it's a lot to do with those last few seconds where they talk about. I don't agree with your methods. You're not from Chicago. Yeah. If you shorten it, then I focus on the when the um, forensic accountant goes nuts (laughs) with the shotgun. Yeah, I love that scene. I just love it. (laughs) Stone gets shot, and then he just goes ape with Mm -hmm. the shotgun.
3: You know, I I love that every time. And that scene coming at the coming towards the beginning of the movie, that scene kind of reminds me of um, just you know them charging in and not really like. Nobody's really going for cover. They're just charging in with their guns. It reminded me of the scene from Tombstone when Kurt Russell's just standing in the middle of the river and he's just got the guns and he's Mm -hmm. just going, no, no. And he's just firing away and nobody can hit him. It kind of reminded me of that. Mm -hmm.
0: So are you saying it's this movie's you shall not pass moment?
3: Yes. And there might be a few you shall not pass moments, but yeah. That's true. Yeah.
0: Maybe it's the first You Shall Not Pass moment.
3: Right, right. All right. Well, uh, let me go ahead. We'll we'll give some of the uh, intro information here for the movie, and then we will just jump on in. Uh, We'll talk about some of our favorite parts. We'll dissect this a little bit. Um, But first of all, this one came out June 3rd, 1987. It was rated R, directed by Brian De Palma. He also directed Carrie, Scarface, Carlito's Way, and Mission Impossible produced by Art Linson, who also produced Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Sons of Anarchy, Heat, and Fight Club. Writers for this one, uh, actually part of it is based off of a book written by Elliot Ness and Oscar Fraley, uh, wrote the book The Untouchables, um, and uh, it was kind of his uh, autobiography of of everything that happened to him. But then the screenplay uh, of this was written by David Mamet, who also wrote About Last Night, which actually is one of Pat's favorite movies. Um, wrote Glenn, mm-hmm. Gary, G- Glenn Ross and Ronan. Uh, David Mamet uh, wrote, ended up writing for a lot of different movies that uh, Robert De Niro was in. Music on this one is by Ennio Morricone. And he did Once Upon a Time in the West, The Thing, Bugsy, and The Hateful Eight. Budget for this one was $25 million. Box office was $106.2 million. Kevin Costner played Elliot Ness. He was also in Dances with Wolves, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Man of Steel. Sean Connery played Jim Malone. He was in the Bond movies, The Name of the Rose, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and The Rock. Uh, Charles Martin Smith was Agent Oscar Wallace. He was in American Graffiti and Starman. Andy Garcia played Agent George Stone or Giuseppe Petri. He was in Stand and Deliver, The Godfather Part III, and the Ocean's Eleven movies. Robert De Niro played Al Capone. He was in The Godfather Part II, Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and Casino. Uh, Richard Bradford, who died in 2016, played police chief Mike Dorset. He was in a TV series called Man in a Suitcase and a movie called Missing. Billy Drago played Frank Nitty. He was in Delta Force 2, Tremors 4, and The Hills Have Eyes. Patricia Clarkson was Catherine Ness. She was in Jumanji, The Green Mile, and Shutter Island. Steve Goldstein played Scoop, the newspaper reporter. Uh, he was in House of Games and The Spanish Prisoner. And I just added this one in here because I thought it was kind of fun. John Barrowman played an uncredited street person, uh, and he is known for being in Doctor Who, Torchwood, and Arrow, the TV series. Rotten Tomatoes critics gave this one an 80%. The audience gave it an 89%. Uh, Siskel and Ebert. Ebert gave it two stars and said, here is a movie about an era when law enforcement resembled gang warfare, but the movie seems more interested in the era than in the war. The Untouchables has great costumes, great sets, great cars, great guns, great locations, and a few shots that absolutely capture the Prohibition era, but it does not have a great script, great performances, or great direction.
2: Okay, so clearly he was watching a movie, uh, not another movie.
3: Right. You know, maybe he was watching a different Untouchables?
2: Maybe I, he lost 10 rounds of beer pong before he watched the
3: movie. That's, I don't, I don't that's know. That's possible, too. Uh, Siskel, though, Siskel did like this one. He gave it three and a half stars, and he said, The filmmaking by De Palma is stylish and alternates between shocking surprise and hold your breath quiet. Only a needless scene, so, you, uh, Bo, you're not going to agree with this one. Only a needless scene of Ness and Canadian-mounted police stopping an illegal liquor shipment seems out of place. The time wasted on that scene could have been better spent with more scenes of Robert De Niro, quite chilling as Al Capone, a role that requires skill to rise above caricature.
0: What a jerk! <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, your favorite scene, Siskel thought, was the most needless scene in the entire movie and should have been cut out.
0: Ouch! That that wounds me.
3: Well, I want him dead. I okay. want him dead. <laughs> Well, you got your wish.
0: Enthusiasm.
3: Yeah, you be enthusiastic because he's dead. Uh, Cinema Score gave this one an A minus. Uh, this one won and was nominated for several awards. Uh, you know, not least of which was it won an Oscar for best. Actually, Sean Connery won a majority of the awards for this one. Uh, he won an Oscar for best supporting actor as well as a Golden Globe for the same thing, and it won a BAFTA award for best film score. In 1930 Chicago, federal agent Elliot Ness gathers a small team of men to aid him in his crusade against Al Capone and the corruption he embodies. Let's take a listen to the trailer, and we'll be back in just a second.
0: I grew up in a tough neighborhood. Sometimes reputation follows you.
3: Robert De Niro is Al Capone.
0: There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me and not by anybody I employ, and I'll tell you
3: why, because it's not good business. Kevin Costner is Elliot Ness
0: I have sworn to put this man away With any and all legal means at my disposal And I will do so
3: Sean Connery is Jimmy Malone You wanna get
0: Capone? Here's how you get him He pulls a knife, you pull a gun He sends one of yours to the hospital You send one of his to the morgue That's the Chicago way You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Everybody knows where the booze is. The problem isn't finding it. Let's some bread. The problem is who wants to cross the pump. Somebody messes with me, I'm gonna mess with him. You carry a badge? Yes. Carry a gun.
3: Get your hands in the air! You're all under arrest!
1: You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing no one can get to you? Hey,
0: everybody can be gotten to. All right, then. Drive him to the station. Anything happens, you shoot first. You understand me? I'll well, tell you one more thing.
1: you got an all-out price fight. You wait till the fight's over. One guy's left standing, and that's
0: how you know who won. Just tell me, are you being careful? Careful as mice. I want to hurt the man, Malone. I want to start taking the battle to him. I want to hurt Capone. This man can finger Al Capone. This man could put Capone behind so bars. Well, what's the matter? Can't you talk with a gun in your mouth? You're not approving methods. Yeah? Well, you're not from Chicago.
2: I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. <laughs>
3: Pictures presents a Brian De Palma film. I have
0: forsworn myself. I have broken every law I swore to defend. I have become what I beheld, and I am content that I have done right. You got nothing. Nothing. And if you were a man, you would have done it now. Never stop fighting
3: until the fight is done. The Untouchables. All right. So we were talking. uh, We kind of, you know, got the jump on uh, talking about the Untouchables early on and kind of talking about some of our favorite scenes. Um, But just some of the. Some of the background, uh, I guess, a little bit for this movie. Now, we've kind of talked before we started recording about some of the historical uh, accuracy of this movie and how there are definitely several scenes that are are not historically accurate because people die who didn't really die in real life and stuff like that. Um, Although, you know, Robert De Niro, he he is definitely a method actor. So there were several things that I I found on IMDb and a couple other places that – Um, he wanted, I think he actually did track down Al Capone's uh, tailors and had him make clothing um, that was identical to the same type of stuff that he would have worn in real life. Uh, A couple of the things that I found in here was that in real life, um, Capone knew that if he killed a a, um, federal agent, that it would cause him more trouble, so he never actually uh, attempted to kill any of the untouchables that he tried to buy them off, but there was never any kind of, maybe not necessarily any type of violence that was threatened or, or sent their way. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think some of the, some of the stuff with this movie, there's a lot of other stuff on here. Um, you know, on on term in terms of like the historical accuracy and things like that, which you know we'll talk about. Um, one of the other things I thought was kind of interesting that that goes with the historical accuracy is um, that Al Capone and Elliot Ness never actually met. They never actually, you know, met face to face, like in the courtroom scene. Of course, it's a lot less dramatic if you don't have them coming face to face there. But um, that they never actually went up against each other in person. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, let's just we'll kind of dive into the story here. And uh, so obviously this is based on historical events. And I know we like we said, we've talked a little bit before recording about movies and historical accuracy. And, you know, Pat, you were mentioning a couple of the, the different scenes in this movie and how they're not not necessarily historically accurate. Um, you mentioned one in particular, the the rooftop chase scene. And that was the one that you mentioned would have been your favorite of those four choices um, so mm-hmm. what was the what was the more accurate rooftop chase? Well, if if I, there was I, a rooftop chase,
2: yeah, I don't think there was a rooftop chase. I mean, I, I've uh, I've only really studied the the, the antics of uh, of the mafia in America and especially well Chicago and and all that. You know, a little bit. I'm not an expert by any means, but I mean, I, I think the the reality was there wasn't quite while there was violence and there was gangland warfare. It, it wasn't quite like the the open running like gunfights that you just see at every turn in this movie. And you know the, the little bit of reading I did was Elliot Ness was excellent with forensic science and you know able to use uh, you know uh, cl- you know clues and and investigation and all that to to solve crimes and whatnot. But it wasn't quite the same gunslinger thing that you saw um, in, the, in the movie. You know, the, the whole rooftop thing. I, I think they said Frank Nitti uh, ended up taking over the Chicago, the, the Chicago organized crime when Al Capone uh, died. So, you know, and then he ended up dying later on. He died in like the 50s or something. Um, so it was, it was just, it was a, a little bit different you know, there's kind of the the specific example of how Frank Nitti died or didn't die, and then in general, the you know the, just the portrayal in the movie of like the open running gunfight between the the cops and the and the the Untouchables and the um the mafia, the gangland mafia, and everything. You know, that 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 was a little bit amped up for for uh, the movie because you know doing forensic science isn't as exciting as having a shootout with shotguns, You're so. Right.
0: It's interesting because it's almost like they referenced that in the movie a couple times. Because mm-hmm. It's at least twice where Ness is having a conversation and he says, we're going to get a murderer on tax evasion? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. on the train later and then earlier he says something about we're going to get him on his." I can't remember when they're in the office he comments on it again. I can't remember the exact line. But it's interesting the way you said that because it's almost like they say that in the movie too. They're like... Okay, we're gonna get this guy on tax evasion. It's boring, so we're gonna shoot some people on the way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. And I was doing some reading that even said, you know, at the time, you know, what was, and I, I have it. I think I have it the wrong way, but they said at the time, so many people were bootlegging that to talk about trying to get this guy because of, um, you know, the sale of illicit alcohol, no one would really care about that. But like the whole tax evasion thing, that you know that might take a little bit more of the public interest or or maybe it was vice versa i don't know whatever it was is is they just said that you know the whole bootlegging thing didn't shock the shock the country like the way they you know kind of portray that in the in the movie
0: i'm so intrigued by this era in american history because the concept of bootlegging and speakeasies just sounds cool and complicated all at the same time Mm -hmm. the way it's always portrayed is everybody was drinking but no one was supposed to so nobody talked about it Mm -hmm. like it's just so weird to me well and i guess maybe in today's political climate the thought of the government completely shutting down a normal way of living shouldn't surprise me as much but it's just it's so interesting the whole concept of it if I ever get a hold of a time machine, I want to go check it out.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well and actually did it with a bottle we, of whiskey with me. Well, that was um didn't that, that TV show Timeless they did an episode um mm-hmm. of the nineteen thirties Chicago and did not they have didn't Elliot Ness get murdered in the show? Yes. Yeah.
0: Somebody so they, yeah, I think so, yeah.
3: Yeah. So they kind of took it, you know. They had to they had to go a different route to try to take down Al Capone because uh, I think it was Elliot Ness and the Untouchables ended up getting killed, and they had to find some other way to to try to make sure that Capone didn't become an even bigger crime boss than he was.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, well,
2: and even this even the story of Capone is kind of interesting because he was a he was basically a kid. I want to say he was only twenty or twenty one when he took over. Because his uh, when he when he came on the scene in Chicago, Chicago, there was like supposed to be a big gang war going on, and that was very uh, bloody and violent, and, and a little bit more of the open running warfare that you um, you see in the movie. And it was uh, I think there was an Irish gang. Um, there was a there was an Irish gang called the O'Bannon Gang, and that was against you know there's this guy named Johnny Torrio, and he had the Italian gang. And during the teens, there was like open open-gangs warfare happening. And then Johnny Torrio was was injured somehow, and he couldn't continue, you know, in his leadership role. So that's when it passed to the very young Al Capone. And then it was they were basically just street gangs that suddenly Prohibition hit, and they had a chance to cash in. And then that's when they became this, you know, multi-million-dollar empire throughout the 20s. They became this multi-million-dollar empire that... Uh, you see, portrayed in 1930, which is when the movie is set. So it's kind of a, an interesting rise to power for, you know, Al Capone and, and an interesting rise to power for the Chicago, the Chicago gangs.
3: Yeah, I, this one for me, I you know, obviously not not being from Chicago originally, um, before I moved here, that was the only that was the only thing I knew about Chicago was just from different movies. I knew about the mafia and I knew about these gangster movies and, and I even had friends who were like, Oh, you're moving to Chicago? City's full of gangsters. Like they're they're still running around shooting people. I'm like, really? That's that doesn't sound yeah. true, but okay. I've never been, so I guess I gotta wait till I get there. But yeah, so I mean this this really kind of shaped my understanding of Chicago before I got here and we were my wife Sharon and I were as we were watching this we were talking about it earlier and we kind of said you know does this the, the crime that you've got going in Chicago now cuz if you know if anybody's listening to this from anywhere outside of Chicago we're we're all from Chicago we're all in the Chicago area um, that are recording this podcast so we maybe have a different take on it but if you're from outside of Chicago you probably just hear a lot on the news about all of the murders all the shooting the gang stuff going on And I kind of feel like that's, you know, and especially with our current president having mentioned Chicago by name several times, I kind of get the feeling that you just, people see Chicago as this crime-ridden place that they should be afraid to go to. And then you get this movie where, and again, it's a movie, so, you know, they're taking liberties with some historical accuracies, but I think you had a very similar way of looking at Chicago, that it was this crime-ridden place that you know, Al Capone is running everything and, and the corruption is just rampant. Um, and I wonder if, I, when we had our conversation about this, we, we kind of said, I wonder if it should come as a surprise that there's still a lot of crime in Chicago, because that's always been, for those people from outside of Chicago, that's almost always been a way of looking at it, that this is a city of crime bosses. Um, you know, obviously living here, I don't, I don't think that there's ever been a time I've gone to the city and haven't felt like I was at least reasonably safe, uh, no more or less than any other city in the country. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you know some of the some of the violence in this movie and, and some of the shootings and other stuff. I, if that's just played up for dramatic effect, and and so that's why people have a, a view of Chicago as being a, a city that's. Steeped in crime? Is it because of movies like this, you know, coupled with the fact that we do have a lot of stuff going on nowadays?
0: Sure. I think any city gets its reputation from movies and headlines. I mean, most of the country can tell you that something called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre occurred in Chicago. They might not be able to tell you why or what happened, but they can tell you that that event exists. Mm-hmm. and when one of the top events is a massacre, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it too is, is what gets popularized in movies. And I was saying this before, you know, whenever there's a, an, uh, an X-Men movie that comes out or whenever there's a Star Trek movie or a Star Wars movie, there's always exhaustive discussion on how does this fit into the timeline? And is it historically accurate to the Star Wars canon and, you know, are Wolverine's claws, really, do they come out a foot from his hands and are one inch thick? Or do they come out a foot and a half and they're two inches thick? Or, you know, like there's, I mean, there's like these groups that are just wanting to test the quote-unquote historical accuracy of every little thing about fiction. i
0: say they taper at a 15-degree angle, but that's just me. Okay.
2: Well, uh, no, that's, that. hey, we'll go. But there's people that want to, like, just explore every little angle of the supposed historical accuracy of these fictional stories. But then I think as a society, when a movie comes out, I don't think we're that far away from like when War of the Worlds was broadcast on the radio. I think we're perfectly willing to look at a movie. All it has to say was based on a true story or have a couple paragraphs at the beginning talking about, you know, Chicago was a violent blah, 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 blah. And we'll just want to accept that as man, that's the way it was. And there's like little to no breaking it down and discussion as to, well, was that really historically accurate? I mean, if you if you do that, then you kind of become that guy in the discussion. Okay, come on here, you know, here he goes again. He's telling you how well that's not really the way it was, and it's all. But in our in some movies, it's like, man, everything has to be exactly right. And I think you know to get serious for a second, the danger of that is, is you know we're We're letting movies give us our history and letting movies set our perceptions of things when maybe maybe all they should do is kind of serve to be a jumping off point for
0: further study,
3: so yeah, so what you know in in terms of this movie, um, you know, one of the criticisms of Roger Ebert for this one was that, you know, I mean, he said he liked the the look and feel of the prohibition era but he said it does not have a great script, great performances, or great direction. How would you respond to that?
1: You know, I think... And again, maybe it's because I was watching it this time with a much more critical eye than I probably ever have. I feel like Sean Connery alone may have been a... or may have seemed kind of out of place... When you compare him against the level of the 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 other characters, um Connery seemed a lot more committed to his role than than the other characters did. And comparatively, the other characters just sort of seemed to have fallen a little bit flat. So I think I kind of get what um what what he's saying uh, it just it, the the portrayal of the characters seemed a little unbalanced when you start looking at uh, as them as individuals
0: well yeah, they certainly didn't spend much time developing Stone's character no well I put even on screen that much you know they, they didn't really spend much
1: time developing anyone's character other than Audrey and
0: Capone. A little bit with Elliot Ness, you saw his family and some of that. Yeah, no, right, but I, I think that's different than developing a character. Like I don't know, I think you see, you see why he does what he does because of the way he is with his family. At least you get a little insight into that. Well, I mean you, some of them you don't even get that. But I mean, you you get some his, some of
1: his backstory, but I don't think that develops develops his character. Okay, I think you know I I, I feel like. Um, you know, it's it's not Elliot Ness's story that's being told here. I think I, I think it almost becomes Sean Connery's story uh that, that gets told, or Malone's story that gets told, and Capone's story that gets told more so than it is Elliot Ness. Just and I base that more on um, the the way that the characters were depicted
3: the one who goes yeah. through the most changes is Sean Connery's character. And, you know, he's at first, he doesn't want to have anything to do with this. He's a, an old cop walking the beat. And, and as he goes through the rest of this movie, you know, he's, he's there as the mentor. He's there, you know, they, they have that little discussion as to, you know, well, well, why, like, why are you, why are you old and walking the beat? Like, well, maybe I just thought it was more important to live.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just. So in terms, of, in, in terms of the acting and the characters, I, I can see a little discrepancy in how the, all the characters relate to one another. In terms of the story, I think the story is great. And yes, of, of course, uh, Hollywood took liberties with it. But I think that um, the liberties they took just made for a much more entertaining story. And I think it, it works and I think it's okay because they never tried to say this is this is the this is the story that has never been told before. You know, of course these characters are based on real characters, but I don't think it ever tries to come across as being a true story. Yeah. So I I I mean and unfortunately we can't learn more, but I would be interested in learning more about where Ebert was coming from. -hmm. With with his comments,
3: yeah, and and I really kind of felt it this time, and I I made that reference earlier. I I kind of I I made a connection in my brain between this movie and Tombstone, and maybe I just maybe I've wanted to watch Tombstone lately, so that's why I was thinking of it. But um, you know, in in much the same way that obviously that movie is a good portion of some of those events are are very fictionalized versions of what happened alongside something like this, where, you know, you, it's, it's based off of the true story, but we have definitely jazzed it up for Hollywood and we've added explosions and we've added danger when maybe there wasn't physical danger. Um, you know, somebody's life wasn't maybe necessarily in, in as much danger as it appears in the movie. And, you know, the, the one thing that he mentions on here too, is the, the direction and, and, There were several times that just the the camera work and some of the choices, I I think in particular the scene where um, the guy is uh, sneaking around outside um, Malone's apartment just before he comes in to to try to kill him. And just the camera work there of of the camera, you know, taking the point of view of the person and and how they use that to, you know, build up the tension and and build up that effect, I I thought that was great. So, yeah, I I don't know that I... I think I tend to agree a little bit more with Siskel. I, I do agree with you on the on the uh, performances part that you get you get good performances out of uh, De Niro and Sean Connery, but like you said, in terms of character development, I would have liked to if they if they gave more screen time to Andy Garcia's character uh, or the other uh, accountant. If they had given more screen time to them, I would have liked to have seen. Here you've got a young uh, Italian Southsider uh, who has come to join the police force. I would have liked to have seen some of the tension there of, okay, well, you're going after Al Capone and you're going after the mafia who are majority, if not vast majority Italian. So there's got to be some kind of a conflict there. You know, your, your family may have had some history with Capone's people or... I don't know, but that would have been interesting to see, um, you know, whether the real life person had that in his background or not. But as a character in a movie, I, I would have liked to have seen why does he seem? Because he seems kind of he he seems really cocky and angry at the beginning when they first meet him at the shooting range, and I want to see more of why. And I don't feel like we saw that in the movie. Mm-hmm. But that would I I would have liked to explore that a little bit more, you know, if they needed to add, you know, another twenty minutes onto the movie to be able to do that, I would have been fine with that.
0: Ah, uh, but would they have released a movie that long?
3: I think they would have. I mean, I think if you're I think if you're going to watch a movie like this, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're not necessarily going in just for the action of it. You're gonna go in for the history part as well. So in in terms of this movie, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, I, I sent that poll out on Twitter and asked people what their favorite scene was, and I had you guys tell me what your favorite scene of those four choices would be. Is there another one? Like, if you if you weren't limited to those four choices, would you still go with the scene that you picked? Like, I just as an example, I would still stick with the the train station steps. Um, I've never watched the entire movie of Battleship Potemkin, but I know that that's kind of a, an homage to uh, the the massacre on the Odessa steps in the Battleship Potemkin movie. Um, and uh, I, I would like to go back and rewatch that whole movie at some point. But, um, I mean that scene just, and and I watched that, you know, maybe just a few months ago when I was sitting in the hospital with somebody and it was happened to be on the TV and it was that scene that came on just as we turn on the TV and it just, the tension in that scene and the, I don't know, just just the whole setup where you can see the players coming into, you know, coming into their, into their spots where they're going to be lined up and, and the tension of him, Helping the lady pull the the baby carriage up the steps, and you you know what's coming, um, and then just the whole slow motion, you know, ride down the steps for the kid and the shootout, and 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 just the way the whole thing ends too. When you when you finally get them, and he's got the accountant there, and he's, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. You got him? I got him. <laughs> mm-hmm. One, two. <laughs> <laughs> So great scene. that, that Classic. for me, I, that's, that's my, I mean, there are a lot of great scenes in this movie and I, I had a really hard time picking between if I narrowed it down to those four, I had a hard time picking which one was my favorite, but I, I think I definitely got to go with that one. I got to go with the train station scene. Cause for me, if you, you know, if, if you ask me, tell me one thing about untouchables that would make me want to watch it. I would describe that scene to somebody.
0: I'm a big fan of the scene in the church. Hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Where they talk about the Chicago way, the blood oath. Yep,
1: the the church being the only safe place left in the city. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, I really enjoyed the city itself as the backdrop. I thought there were a lot yeah. of beautiful shots that just showcased Chicago. Yeah, uh, like especially you know the stuff on the bridges especially the, the the stuff on uh, on LaSalle Street um, and just the this the city itself just looked great mm-hmm. in this movie. and I don't know if it was uh, film choice or filter choice or lighting. I don't know what it was, but it just it made Chicago look fantastic.
0: Yeah. they definitely chose a chose an excellent color palette,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah
0: and and you know i
1: mean that LaSalle street location has been the backdrop of numerous scenes for for many movies um you know uh the dark knight yeah you know when when joe sure. goes after the commissioner like that's the same the same stre- stretch of road um but it looked like an entirely different locale in that movie compared to this one. I, I think this one just, I mean, it just, it really got the sense of um, what Chicago may have been in the 1930s. And it found a way to, to highlight the architecture and, and, and the, uh, the steel work in some cases. So I really enjoyed the scenes where you got to see a lot of the, the backdrop of the city itself. And let that let the city almost become its own character. Mm-hmm.
3: I love that. and that first scene in the movie where you've got the the little girl that goes into that shop, and you've got the that shop that's just it's under the L trains, and um, yeah. you know that could be a whole bunch of different little corner places in the city, um, but it just it looks so much. It, it's very Chicago, um, and just I mean, well, and that that scene is just that that's the sets the tone for the rest of the movie anyway, but. Um, just that opening scene i mean you know if you know anything about chicago you you see that and you know you are in the city of chicago yeah and then they blow up a little 10 year old girl so right but i mean that yeah
0: yeah talk about setting a tone right (laughs) we're not afraid to do this watch
3: right pat did you mention did you mention yours
2: my favorite scene? Yeah. I, you know what, in, in speaking with all the, in hearing everyone talk, I, I, I think the train scene, as an entire scene, I think the train scene is probably my favorite. However, that being said, um, anything where De Niro gets a chance just to, you know, spread his wings and really, you know, f- flex, I'm talk about using too many metaphors, but flex his muscles as an actor. I mean, just his portrayal of Capone was second to none. So any mm. of the speeches you know, where he's at the table and he takes the baseball back to the guy's head.
0: Oh,
3: yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Enthusiasms.
0: I mean,
3: yeah.
2: You know, teamwork.
3: Well, and every time he's just, that. every time he's just playing the, the journalists and just laughing with them and yeah. Yeah. And I love um, his whole, I love his whole smugness during the trial at the end up until they switch the juries. Yeah. Right,
2: right you
3: know all right so, yeah. did, did i miss I anybody saying. else's did i miss anybody else's favorite scene jeff As did a, you did you say yours jeff
1: well i think my favorite scene out of the whole movie i think would still be the uh, union station okay
3: mm-hmm. so do and, and and there are a lot of great lines great quotes in this movie do you have do you have a couple of favorite lines from this movie
1: I like the uh, the lines that get recalled Mm -hmm. throughout the movie. Um, You know, specifically. um, uh, You know, what are you prepared to do? You You know, you hear that as, you know, from Malone early on in the movie and you're like, oh, he's just, you know, continuing to try to call out Elliot Ness and get him to step up. But then when you hear him utter that with his last breath, as he lay dying on the floor, yeah, like it just takes on a whole new level of, of, of hope of, of want and will to see this whole thing through. Um, and then the other, the, the other great line is here endeth the lesson. Yeah. Yes. You, you, you get it real again. You get it real quick from alone early on when he, uh, when he's talking to Ness on the bridge. And then for Ness to drop that as he's walking away from Capone in the, in, in, in the courtroom at the end there, I just, this is like, bam, nothing you can say right now is going to top that line here. Right. endeth the lesson. Right. So, I mean, those, those two lines are so great, uh, because of how, how they're used in, in with so much different emotion
3: behind
2: them Mm -hmm. definitely
3: yeah i like a lot of the well in in the here end of the lesson again you know just like you said it's it's that callback to earlier um and i love how it gets used those those two different times um i do like some of the ones that you know maybe come across uh, a little funnier you know some of them like the um when they've gone to the shooting range and they, they try to, they try to pick out a couple of guys so that they can make sure they've got uh, fresh police, fo- police officers that haven't had a chance to get corrupted or paid off yet. And they're asking the one guy and he keeps stuttering stuttering through his answer. answers. I, uh, I, I want to pr- pr- protect the people. And um, uh, yeah. Why do you want to join the force? Because I, I, I think I could help you think you could help with, with the force. Thank you very much. You've been most helpful. And then he turns to walk away and Malone turns to Ness and he goes, there goes the next chief of police. <laughs> Yeah, I do like some of those, and that's funny. And uh, some of the other, some of the other little one-liners. When Stone asks him, uh, "Where's Nitty?" He's in the car.
2: Yes, that's a good line.
3: But yeah, I I like them. I I, I think
1: a lot of the great lines go to uh, Sean Connery. Yeah. In this movie, well, his his character. Um, you know when they're sitting in the church uh, for the blood oath. Yeah, you know he does the whole. You you want to know how to get to Capone? Was it that they pull a knife, you pull a gun? He puts one of yours in the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's how you get Capone.
0: Someone mentioned uh, Capone's speeches. um, The one where he just goes all nuts. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his dog dead. Anytime he gets to go off like that is pretty good too.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that might be Patrick's favorite line of the movie.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's funny because someone mentioned earlier things that are ripped off out of this movie that, that I want in dead speech shows up all the time. Yeah. Most of the time, comedically they're, they're, they're lampooning it, but it shows up in movies all the time. Just like the, uh, train
3: scene you know i do like um i like the this is not a quote but i like the the one scene in particular where the guy breaks into malone's house breaks into his apartment and you know he you, you got that whole tension of, is he going to get him? Is he going to get him? You, you see him move through the different rooms and, and then finally he turns around he's got the gun and he chases the guy out the back, the fire escape. And just, and I remember for the first time I, I saw this movie, I never expected there be to be uh nitty waiting there with a machine gun. Yeah. And that, you know, as as much as that blew Sean Connery's character away, it kind of blew me away. I was like, yeah, he's you know chasing this guy and you know, they're not going to mess with him. Oh wow! Yeah, it,
1: you, you realize it was just a setup to yeah. get him to come out, come out of his building. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's what I think. You know that whole scene, and I'm jumping away from Malone getting shot, but I really, and I'll leave it to you guys as as the more knowledgeable movie watchers. But that whole scene just really showed, it, it, in my eyes, just all the the effort put into this movie in terms of setting a scene and using the camera. I mean, the way the camera tracked Malone, you know, going from one window to the next, I thought that was very, very cool. Um, yeah. I thought, you know, there was a lot of of things done um, just to really make the characters look cool. Um, you know, when Capone gets nicked with the razor and you see everybody, like, go back like oh my gosh the guy's gonna go Mm -hmm. you know that just shows the power of the man um when uh you mentioned like the the baby carriage scene at the at the train where you know you you see all the bad guys coming in and you know it's 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 about to go down and uh you know Kevin Costner just turns around and pulls the shotgun up one-handed and lets the guy have it you know even that in in real life to fire a shotgun one-handed not quite realistic, but right. he looked really cool. I would say it
1: looked tough as hell. Yeah,
2: exactly. It, I mean, so in that sense, it, I mean, it doesn't matter that the thing probably would have flown out of his hand. I mean, you know, it's, it just looked really cool. And there, in this movie, there really seems to be a lot of attention to the look. And uh, uh, I, I just, I, I just was very impressed with that. I, I it just, I, I have fun. That's what sucks me in. You know, the story's great. The acting's great, the, but when I turn this movie on, I just I can't look away because it just looks so cool.
3: Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you guys this. And I know we've we've had some discussions before on, um, you know, mafia movies. And, you know, in particular, um, you know, Pat and, and Jeff, you guys have kind of talked about this before having Italian families and and maybe sometimes how uh, how mafia movies play and and how, you know, accurate they are and and how they approach Italian family life and, and some of that uh some of that history and some of that some of the culture of that that comes across in movies. Um does this how does this work for you as a mafia movie? Um you know we've kind of talked about it's you know it, it definitely takes liberties with the history and um is there anything about this that you know being being from Italian families is there anything about this movie that bothers you about it or is it fictionalized enough that, that it's not so much a problem
2: go ahead jeff what do you think
1: um you know the I, I don't bump as much on it with this movie as i have with with other movies yeah because i i don't think it I don't think it glorifies the the mafia. I don't think it. I don't think it romanticizes the mafia the way that the way that other movies have. Yeah, and it, it, I don't think it, it. I don't even think it stereotypes uh, the Italian people in a way that suggests that this is representative of of an entire people. Right. So, you know, this, I don't have a problem with this movie. You know, I, I, I don't get the sense that it's trying to provide any sort of commentary about any specific, uh, group of people. Well, maybe the Irish, because there's a lot of that tension between, uh, Malone and the captain. Mm um, and i think that the doesn't even the captain at some point even start talking about how it was with the irish
3: right it just talks about your your people
1: yeah but i you know I, I don't think that the point of this movie was to try to say this is about any specific uh ethnic grouping of people so i you know i, I don't think it, it i don't think it plays I don't think it it, it plays to offend, uh, in any way. Yeah, you know it's just not as harsh as other other movies have gone in terms of, um, almost in some cases, how carelessly they depict the mafia and and Italian
2: uh, Italian Americans. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, I you know what you said it you said it best. I I'm thinking back and and to be honest. I, I don't really know that this movie sh- shows that much of Italian culture. I mean, you know, in terms of intertwined with, you know, the, the the darker aspects like the organized crime or or not. I mean, you know, Al Capone is Italian, but I don't even I don't even think they really address that. I think they address that more with uh, uh, Giuseppe. Um, what was his last name? Pietri? Petri. Mm-hmm. Petri. 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 Uh, you know, I think they address that more with him. Just you know, when they're hiring him and, and Connery's like, "Oh, here we go, another stinking no good race," and blah, blah blah. You know, that shows a little bit of the oh, well, he's Italian, so we don't trust him. Mm-hmm. But that's but that's that but that's really it. I don't think like you know, th- I don't even think they really show that that much. You know, there's not the talk about the old country. There's not the you know, you don't like the Godfather. You know, you, obviously, The Godfather, you, you get a lot of that organized crime, but then they also show you aspects of a big Italian family. Uh, you know, the, the um, um, shoot, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of, you know, Goodfellas. Now, maybe that did a good job of glorifying things, too. I'm not going to speak to that. But that movie did show little bits and pieces of, of parts of Italian culture this movie really didn't do that other than, you know, they talked about Al Capone and they made references to the Italians. Like you said, like the police and they make references that they're kind of more Irish, but, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm plus one in what Jeff said. I, I really, I don't think this movie approached it or addressed it in the same manner that other movies do.
3: Yeah. So kind of staying in that, uh the vein of the, kind of the, the gangster movie, the, the mafia movie. So Brian De Palma, same director, did Scarface uh, four years before this one. And it seems like there was just a, a, a long stretch during that, I mean, starting with The Godfather uh, in the in the 70s, and then going through the 80s and the 90s, you had a long stretch of Scarface, Godfather movies, Scarface, The Untouchables. Um, uh, what else did you have, The... Uh, once upon a time in America, uh, a whole bunch of crime movies, um, Prizzy's honor, you know, you had a whole bunch of uh, Johnny dangerously. There was more of a comedy. And then you had, uh, you know, you had casino, you had Goodfellas. Is there of those different gangster movies, you know, or, or kind of dealing with the Italian mafia or dealing maybe with this time period prohibition, um, and, and Al Capone in particular, is there in this stretch of movies from the Godfather up until let's say the nineties, uh, where does this one fall for you in terms of this type, this genre of movie? Is this up at the very top or is there another one that, that you like better than this one?
2: Well, you haven't uh, had a chance to talk much. What what do you think?
0: That's tough. <laughs> Cause I do love casino. Yeah. But,
1: but Casino's a much different movie than this.
0: I know, that's what that's what I'm trying to I'm trying to access the words to explain.
1: You, you almost can't compare yeah. you know casino to untouchables.
0: This one's more this one's more got Casino, all I can picture is Joe Pesci right now. Yeah. Um
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow. This was probably why are you good.
3: laughing do I amuse you yes okay
0: you do like a clown
3: <laughs> wrong <laughs> yeah. movie wrong movie gentlemen I, know. Keep going. I know
0: we know <laughs> um you know this movie was probably the first one I saw in that vein um, because of I don't know just because I think my dad really liked it to be honest um so I think it holds that special place for me where if I'm if you know, back to back I'm flipping through channels and it's Untouchables or Casino. I probably land on the Untouchables just because. But yeah, it's trying to think which of those movies is actually in the Untouchables class. Because I feel like Scarface is more like Casino than it is the Untouchables. Mm -hmm.
3: Would you say like Godfather Part Two?
0: Maybe, yeah yeah and it's all about how wide you cast the umbrella like you you right. cast that general gangster movie umbrella and you end up with a lot of stuff. but I think like Jeff called it right from the get go they're just two different types of gangster movies,
1: yeah yeah
0: i mean i I would
1: consider untouchables to be a a crime movie where some of the others you mentioned I think would be organized crime
3: mm-hmm.
1: movie okay you know and like i would almost say that untouchables goes in the same category as um la confidential or okay. uh or copland yeah, yeah. good you know, one you know th- things along that line i just i don't think it, it really falls into the same genre as the likes of godfather or goodfellas
2: yeah. Yeah, well the focus on in in the untouchables is a little bit more on the police, which is why I think it fits more in with a copland thing whereas the other movies the focus is a little bit more on the on the the organized crime on the um you know on the mob bosses which I think is kind of in other words what Jeff was just saying. So I mean this this movie's a little bit different because I mean, Al Capone is a main character, but he's almost like an ancillary character. He kind of comes on screen, and you're always wanting more, but he's not on as much as, like, the other guys are.
3: So. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's why maybe that's why I kept coming back to Tombstone, is making me think that it was a, you know, more of a, we're gathering a, a small force that can go up against this organized crime group. So in that case, it's the Cowboys. Um, you know, you have Wyatt Earp and his immortals riding against the cowboys, and um, it, it, in much the same way in that movie, it's it's focused more on that small group of men that's trying to go up against the criminals in that case. So, yeah, no, I, I this one in particular, I I kind of struggle with the same thing. I in some ways, in a lot of places, it gets listed as a gangster film. Um, I was actually looking at a couple of different lists that, you know, how people ranked, um, some of the crime thrillers of the eighties and they had this one listed as a crime, crime, th- crime thriller or gangster film. Uh, and they had it listed in there with a couple of other, um, I was trying to find the other eighties gangster movies that they had it listed with. They had the cotton club by Francis Ford Coppola, um, uh, they had it listed in with Scarface, but like you said, I I think I would put Scarface in a different category. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, is there anything else we want to say about the untouchables? Have we touched on yes. everything? Yes, there is. Go
1: for it. John, I, I want to uh, kind of stem off a little bit what you were saying. You, you know, you keep bringing up the fact that you're leading yourself to, or this movie leads you to tombstone a little mm-hmm. bit. And, I think part of that, maybe even subconsciously, would be uh, Morricone's score. Yeah. Because he, he uh, orchestrated so many and composed so many uh, spaghetti westerns, his music tends to have a little bit of a western feel to it, a western vibe to it. So I'm wondering if you're, you know, just hearing a lot of the music, which almost gets again, just like the city did the music almost gets treated like a character as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so I wonder if you're hearing some music and it's somehow you're, you're picking up on the Western elements of what goes on in the score and it, it's leading you to think of tombstone.
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, I mean, cause that's, before I, in just watching the movie, before I looked up, you know who had done the score, um, I it definitely had that feel to it, and I think it just it it really has the feel, it almost really has the the feel of a western movie, and I think, in some ways, because of the because of the makeup of the story, because you've got the the lawmen that are going after the criminals, and um, but yeah, definitely I think the music lends itself to that too, is, is giving it that feel of a, and and maybe actually that's a better categorization for it. Maybe a a more of a Western movie set in the city of Chicago in the 1930s, uh, more so than a gangster movie.
0: Yeah. You do have a couple old fashioned standoffs. You have,
3: yeah. Got some horses.
1: I mean, you know, you can almost hear some of, you know, some of the more popular, uh, uh, tunes mm-hmm. like you can almost uh like the, like the, the man with no name trilogy you know some of that music you can almost be like yeah that would also fit in this scene yeah you know and and you know i'm now i'm really starting to think like maybe this movie could be you know i think both to read just the one that just said it's a, it's like a western set in this backdrop
3: yeah yeah, that might actually be a better categorization for it than a listing it as a gangster movie. Because you're right, it's really not. I mean, it doesn't focus on the gangsters. Um, it doesn't even really focus on their operation. It doesn't focus on the logistics of a whole lot of that. It's more of the the police work that needs to be done. It's almost like the you know the the old west sheriff. Trying to track mm-hmm. down the bad guys and and you know break up their operation. It's it's more of that than it is what you would see later on in something like a, a casino or what you see in Scarface. Or,
0: yeah, and Elliot Ness is the new sheriff in town. Right to steal a to steal an old line.
3: But yeah, yeah I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the music because I, I I did want to talk about that for a minute and I because that was a you know it's it's definitely a there are times when the music is kind of jarring. Like there are times where it almost seems out of place, but there's a well, reason for it. I,
1: that, that's what I'm saying. It's almost like a character in a, of itself. Because when the music yeah. makes its entrance, you 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 can't ignore it. Right. There's, there's not a lot of subtlety to it. Like it it is its own presence whenever it's being used.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that that was something that especially watching it this time. I, I don't know, and I don't know how I would have not noticed the music, but I think watching it this time around, maybe just because I've seen it a few times now, I, I was able to focus on other things.
0: I was um, going to say, did you watch it more than twice getting ready for the podcast?
3: Uh, one and a half times.
0: Okay. I kinda watched sometimes, it and
3: then I skimmed through a couple of different parts just to watch them over again.
0: Sometimes on that extra watch, you pick up weird things about the music weird like background stuff that you just don't notice. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And it probably doesn't hurt that, you know, when I think of, when I think of Kevin Costner, I'm, I'm mostly thinking of like dances with wolves, Wyatt Earp, um, you know, some of that other stuff too. So that probably lends itself to to me thinking of this as, as a little bit of a, a Western type movie. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, did you guys have anything else that you want to mention about the untouchables? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I thought this was a really good conversation it pretty well. Yeah. yeah. So definitely hope, hopefully you did stop the podcast at the beginning and went back to watch it. But, uh, if not, you definitely need to just go watch this movie now after we've ruined the whole thing for you. Um, but, uh, I just, I think it's a, I think it's a great movie and I think, um, you know, like, like we said, in responding to Ebert's take on this was, I I think the, the story is solid. It's a, it's a good, solid story. Um, you know, it's, it's got strong performances by the lead actors. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely Sean Connery and Robert De Niro. Um, and just, just the, the, I think Ebert hit it on the head with this one too, just kind of the, the, the setting of it, the the backdrop of the whole thing, the city, the music, um, the, the camera work in this, you're just building the tension. And I just, I think it's overall a great movie. Like I, this is probably of the different movies. Hmm. I want to say of the, of the movies that we've looked at for this month of our crime movies. I, I don't know if I want to list it as my favorite. Cause I really like RoboCop. Um, but maybe the best quality movie of this whole month. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's maybe the the best quality movie of this whole month. I I really like RoboCop, so. I got yeah, it. that's
0: a tough one. I'm a big lethal weapon fan. Yeah. But but we had a good month. It was a solid month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was.
3: All right. Well, and we got one more after this. So we've got the Living Daylights coming up. Uh, just just as a little uh little teaser to that. Um. This is, uh, Living Daylights was the first of the Timothy Dalton Bond movies. And obviously we'll, we'll talk more in depth on this next week, but I, just in talking briefly with, might've been, might've been you Bo, um, you said you weren't as much a fan of this one. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And whereas I think. Probably,
0: it's probably the Bond movie I have seen the least. Okay. Not sure, it's the one I enjoy the least, but it's definitely the one I've seen the least. And I own all of them on Blu-ray because okay. I am I love the character. I love it's just a great escape, those movies. But something about this one. I'm gonna go back. I don't think I can make the recording, but I'm gonna try to give you a little something okay. on the voicemail. I'm gonna go back and watch it because it has been a long time. Okay. And you you presented me with different thoughts when we talked the other day. So I want to give it another shot.
3: Okay. Well, and I know Pat and Jeff, I I haven't had a chance to talk to you about the, the living daylights and the Timothy Dalton bond movies, but I know Pat, you and I have talked at different times in the past about how I think you and I both really like Timothy Dalton and kind of his take on bond. And maybe it was just a little bit ahead of its time.
2: Yes. Yes. Definitely. think it was ahead of its time. Now I, 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 it's been a while since I've seen living daylights. Yeah. Um, I know that License to Kill, I really think was a, was a pretty, pretty excellent movie. So yeah.
0: it'll be, oh, I like License to Kill.
2: Yeah. Okay. But it, it'll be interesting to go back and just kind of refresh with living daylights. The only thing I remember is, isn't this the one where he goes sledding down the hill on the cello or with the, with the, I
0: yes. think so. Yes. Or something? There is a cello theme to this one. I believe yes. the the Bond girl is a cellist.
2: Yeah. Even. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to rewatch and discuss and yeah. all that.
3: Jeff, do you have wait, a take wait. on Timothy Dalton?
1: Uh, Timothy Bond? Dalton is my least favorite of all the Bonds. That's okay. what I can tell you. Okay. Oh,
0: George Lazenby beats him out, huh?
1: Oh no, I forgot about his.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> there's always good old George.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah, I forgot he showed up for one at one point, and yeah, yeah.
0: but it's interesting because I would rank those two on the bottom for me, also. Okay. Which
2: right. is 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 well, we're, we're preempting the conversation, but you know it, it's unfortunate because I think *On Her Majesty's Secret Service* was one of the better Bond films.
0: That's what people keep telling me. I just can't get over Lazenby, so I might have to right. try that one That's
2: again right. too. You know, and Jeff and I talked about this. I think the documentary, the Bond documentary, uh, *All Nothing to Lose* or whatever, yes. stuff, yeah, that is out. Yes. I oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Back- I, I keep hoping Netflix brings it back because I really want to watch I, that
2: again. Yeah. I, I think it did. That or maybe Amazon Prime, but it popped oh, up. I'll already. have to
0: dig that up. If it's uh, if it's okay. available again, that was fantastic. Yeah. That's, yeah,
2: Yeah, I that was that good. Hey, I just, I'm sorry. I just thought of something, and I mentioned this to Jeff today about the Untouchables. Did you guys notice how all the bad guys in the Untouchables, you know, the goons, they were the way their makeup or maybe the lighting, it almost gave them like a ghoulish kind of uh, uh, look to them. They seemed very pale with like dark set eyes and it made all the goons. They, they all looked sort of like. Almost like like, you know, henchmen in a mm-hmm. for a Batman villain. Huh. Did you guys did you guys notice that at all?
3: Not not at the time of watching it. But now that you say that, I yeah.
0: Like, yeah. huh? that's interesting.
3: Right, so well, go back now, and check. Now I'm gonna go back like, and watch you know, it the again. Guy that, yeah,
2: like when they go back and they do the 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 alcohol bust. Yeah. The guys like, you know, where's your warrant? Here's my warrant. Boom. That guy yeah. who I think is the guy that Al Capone beans on the noodle with the baseball bat. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you watch, like I like the first couple times I saw the movie, I couldn't even tell that it was the same guy because when he's in the the the. You know, when they when they when they bust in and he's in the uh, mm. you know, illegal brewery or whatever it is, um, you could tell that he has a uh, you know his makeup it just looks different. The goon that goes to kill uh, with Frank Nitty, you know, he just has a different look to him. I mean, all the it's just like I said, they're almost just made out to be more like the. The evil character in Batman, you know, whoever the nemesis yeah. is, their goons that go along with them, they get painted up a certain way. I just noticed that the character has always kind of had that look to them.
3: Yeah. No, that's a good point. No, I didn't I I now that you say that, I, I think back to it and I'm like, yeah, there's definitely they, they definitely have a distinctive look to them that you know this is a bad guy. You know this right. is a henchman of some kind.
2: And for me, that's kind of how it 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 avoids. It's that whole thing of, you know, are we taking shots at the Italian culture? Because the bad guys didn't really necessarily look Italian. They right. just looked
0: like... Ghoulish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just looked like generic baddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. You
1: guys also pick up on the fact that of the four untouchables, the two that got killed were the two that drank? <laughs>
2: no. no, I didn't. Huh.
1: Because the the book or the uh, the accountant drank from the uh, barrels on the bridge in mm-hmm. Canada. Yes. And uh, Malone takes a drink. He has a bottle hidden in his uh, in the bread box or the oven or something in his kitchen, and he mm. takes a drink. Then he ends
3: up getting getting killed. That's true. All right. Well, keep that in mind. Alcohol kills.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does.
3: It, it, you know, and if they repeal prohibition, what are you going to do? Have a drink. There you go. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the untouchables for us uh, this time. If you want to find out more about our podcast, you can go to 30podcast.com. That's got all the different links where you can going to match up with us on facebook on twitter on instagram uh you could email us from there too we've got a voicemail line if you want to call in um we'll we'll play your your audio here on the show and we'll respond to it um you can listen to us through stitcher satchel google play podcasts itunes uh you can go to 30podcast.com and listen to us um and i guess this month and now we're kind of you know Getting close to the end of the month of March here, but uh, I was reading somewhere that the month of March is a kind of like podcast appreciation month. So, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you appreciate podcasts enough to be able to listen to this. But um, so, if you, uh, you know, if you want to try out other podcasts, um, then uh, you can definitely go find more of our shows. This is episode number 122. So, we've got You know, over a hundred of these that we've done on different movies from 84, 85, 86, and now 87. Um, But uh, you can go to iTunes and check us out, and there's plenty of other probably thousands of podcasts there you can check out too. Uh, So you can do that and find a a podcast that you like for Podcast Appreciation Month. Um, But in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, there's all those ways to get in touch with us. Uh, I do also want to point out um, that, and I I think I mentioned this on the last show too, and I just want to make a point of mentioning it, is I do put it on the website, but our music uh, is called Thunder Lizard at the Art War, um, and it is that's the intro music that we have playing at the beginning of the podcast and is done by a, an online artist called Super Sigil, so thank you to Super Sigil for um, le- allowing us to use that as our intro music. Um, but in the meantime, we are, uh, like I said, at the, at the top of the show, we have a whole bunch of great movies coming up in April, Uh, We've got The Princess Bride. We've got the uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks adventure. We've got uh, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, and we've got Masters of the Universe. So if you want to watch some of those movies to just kind of get yourself prepared for that, uh, feel free send us feedback, Twitter, website, voicemail, however you want to do that. Um, But next week, to finish out our month, we've got uh, The Living Daylights. So if you want to go watch that one ahead of time and uh, give us some of your feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, in the meantime... Be excellent to each other, and go see some good movies. So, Bo, thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Thanks, John. And Jeff, thank you. Thank you, John. Alrighty. Well, we are thanking you so much for being here, and uh, we will see you all next time. They'll
0: send us a lesson.
3: There you go. That's the best way to end the podcast. Maybe we should just do that every time.
0: There you go. Our new catchphrase.
3: There you go. I like it. We could do it. Thus right. ended the lesson.